using pre-planned lines on dating apps to start conversation does not work generally for women because we have a sixth sense. We have like a sniff test. We can tell that those lines are maybe lines that you got from a YouTube pickup artist dude, or you even maybe came up with it on your own, but now you've used it for every single girl over and over and over. It's like that saying, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day or teach a man how to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Give a man a pre-written line and he'll date for a day. Teach him how to banter and he'll date for a lifetime or maybe not a lifetime because you'll find the one right away and then you'll stop dating and you'll just be married. But you know what I mean? I am Kristen from kristenandchill.com and I am the banter queen. I teach guys how to charm more than just the socks off of women. And if you're struggling in conversation, if you're getting ghosted, if you're never hearing back, if you're never ever getting the results that you deserve, hit me up at kristenandchill.com. Want to know the hidden meaning behind what women say and do? Then check out the Chictionary. It's the Wing Girl Methods manual that gives you a full rundown of all the things women say that confuse men written in dictionary format. Go get a copy of the Chictionary by going to winggirlmethod.com slash chick. That's winggirlmethod.com slash chick. Coming up on this week's episode of the Ask Women podcast, we have Nigel Barker on our show, the amazing Nigel Barker. And he is going to talk to us about being surrounded by models and how to interact with people who are in the elite and how to really stay true to who you are, be authentic and tap into the amazing man that you are every single day in order to attract the women that you want. So keep listening. Hey, you guys, welcome to another episode of the Ask Women podcast, where you get real advice straight from the source, women, and today, a man, which is always helpful. We have Nigel Barker on the show, who is, you've probably heard his name before. He's an English reality TV show personality fashion photographer, author, spokesperson, filmmaker, and former model, just like me. (laughs) Uh, He's best known for his participation as a judge and photographer on the reality show America's Next Top Model and was the host of the reality show The Face of the American Series. I think I got that right, but you're currently the host of the Shaken and Stirred Show podcast, which Marnie just did recently. Nigel, thank you so much for joining us, and we're excited to talk to you all about That was the shortened version of his intro? That's how you got it down to be short? Compared to the one you had. That's true. Well, I was giving you things to work with. I was saying, work with this. These are the options. He's got a lot on his resume. Pick a few. I don't work with. I just read what's <laughs> yeah. in front of me. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Thank you so much for being here. No, no, not at all. An absolute pleasure. I mean, we had such a fun chat on the Shaken and Stirred show, Ronnie. I thought, you know, this is time for our second date. Yes, I love it. We got to the second date. It was successful the first round. I'm happy we got rid of the the other person. It's a threesome. Yeah. We had Nigel's uh, co-host, who I actually loved, but he was supposed to be on as well. But I, I like that we're just getting to focus on Nigel because after I was on your show, I told my husband and he goes, what? You were on Shake It and Stirred? And I said, yeah. And he goes, with Nigel Barker. I said, yeah. He goes, that guy's a stud. <laughs> like, that, and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, because my husband's really into photography. So he follows you on Instagram. And he, I didn't realize he's been following you 
I don't even know, but like for four or five years, like a very long time, like he loves your photography. So my husband is a big fan. So that made me even cooler in his eyes. So thank you for that. But I wanted to talk to you because as everybody heard from your resume, you have experience that many men who are listening to this podcast and even Kristen and myself don't have the experience of being part of a world that most people don't have access to the world of the top tier humans when it comes to looks, right? And that's a tier that many people are intrigued by and fascinated by and intimidated by. And I would love to hear a little bit about your time in that space, but then obviously talk to you about your interactions with models. Like us. Thinking about the guys who are listening to our show. Yes, right. As you're doing right now, talking to Kristen and I, but I want to help the guys who are listening understand and get some insight into the reality of models as humans rather than seeing them as these, you know, unicorns with breasts, these fictitious, amazing creatures that are untouchable. So I'm going to stop gabbing. But yeah, I'd love to hear about your time in that world. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. And Kristen mentioned at the top, I was a model which, you know, is and like her. Clearly she <laughs> still is and still could be, what have you. But I, it's a very, very long time ago for me. And actually when I did model, I actually had hair rather similar to yours, Kristen. So <laughs> back then, if you can imagine me with long hair, that's, that was kind of what I looked like back in the day. And I've been in the industry for 30 plus years. You know, I ended up marrying a model who's my wife, obviously, who we, you know, dated for several years before we got married. And I worked in that scene. And I think for a lot of young men, Certainly, I was no different at that time. When I first got into modeling, it was one of the things that was, you know, enamored me to the business was the fact that it was a glamorous life surrounded by the sort of the world's most beautiful people. And it was a life of travel, a life of sort of getting to meet and go to places that you would never otherwise go to and meet people that you'd never get a chance to meet and an exclusive elite world to some extent. And what would that be like? How would one navigate that? And you know, how exciting would that be to meet people that you only you know, otherwise see in a glossy magazine or you know, on television in a commercial or something like that? And what would they actually be like? And I very quickly learned a lot about the business. And, you know, I was meant to go to medical school and I ended up not going to school at all and staying in the industry and modeling professionally for about five, six years until the mid 90s. And, you know, had the opportunity to model with the biggest names out there from Naomi Campbell to Cindy Crawford and, you know, you name it, some of the biggest names and flipped side of the camera to the, become a photographer in the mid 90s. And so worked from that side of it, too, which is a, another interesting side as far as meeting people and, and seeing how people behave. But certainly delighted to tell you some stories about my career, my life and my experience with that you know side of things. See, that's the thing. Your life just sounds so fascinating to me. It's just a world that we don't know. But I would love to dig into some of the things that you maybe quickly realized once you got into the industry, like to realize about the individuals. Like, did you feel intimidated? Did you ever have lack of confidence in that industry? Like, I really want to get inside your mind because even though you were welcomed into that world, is it still a place where you can still feel insecure even though you're being labeled as one of them? Of course. The first thing I always felt, and I still to some day sometimes feel it, is imposter syndrome, you know, where you are in a room with people and you're like, am I actually here? Should I be here? Do I deserve to be here? What have I done to be here? Perhaps people will suddenly see through whatever I've done and then they'll realize that actually I shouldn't be here. Certainly as a young man, as a young model sort of trying to make it in that, that industry, it's not like you're trained to be a model. 
Right. You know, and certainly back then, you know, there was, you know, when I started, which was in the 80s, there was nothing. He wasn't even training on how to become a photographer. So then learn how to become a model. And it, so you really felt out of sort of your league in a way. And there are times when I remember doing a show for Chanel in, at the Louvre in Paris. And I was literally in a room with Karl Lagerfeld and Naomi Campbell. And the list of names of who was in that show, it was a who's who of every single supermodel of the late 80s, early 90s, right? It was Claudia Schiffer and it goes on and on. And I remember being in that room and I was one of only, I think, four male models. And male models in general are considered to be sort of, have been considered historically as sort of accessories in fashion. You know, we're not really the main affair and we are sort of there to, to be a prop to the women who are selling things, mostly selling the clothes, what have you. And we're somehow a part of it. Unless, of course, you're selling men's fashion, but there isn't as much. So it's really a woman's world. And I was in this show, Chanel show, as a prop, pretty much. I was, we were actually to carry the models on our shoulders down the runway. So, you know, we were, you know, they were being put on our shoulders and we had to walk them down the runway in Paris, in one of the biggest stages in the fashion world, uh, in front of everybody, the world's press. And we, heaven forbid we drop a multi-million dollar supermodel off our shoulders. So the intimidation was quite high. First of all, the, the room of perfection was ridiculous. But then you realize the more you get to know everyone is that everyone is also insecure in their own little way. The moment you can get past that and get past yourself, actually, and realize that anyone's looking for is really to be made is to laugh. Okay. I just need to jump in for a second because you brought up Chanel. And a couple of years ago, I was, I shouldn't even say lucky enough because then that puts models on a pedestal, but I was dating a male model. We dated for probably about three to five months, maybe something like that. And he just posted a picture. So it's just funny you brought it up, but this is him. I don't know if you can see him. He modeled for Chanel. Is that Chanel Bleu? Yeah. And he wrote like rest in peace on it. I think maybe because the Chanel Bleu doesn't exist anymore or something. Well, no, the Chanel Bleu, but isn't that the French actor? He passed away today. Oh, that must be why. Well, no, this is my... What's his name? Well, Terry Dormer. I really hope he didn't die. No, he didn't. It was another guy in a skiing accident. I just saw that this morning. Right. He did the Chanel Bleu campaign. Oh, he did? Oh, that's horrible. Okay, so that makes sense. So anyway, I dated him for several months. I'll lean more toward the five-month thing, but the whole reason I'm bringing this up is one, to brag that I dated a guy this hot, but two, I could not believe that he wanted to date me. He was pursuing me. And just as guys do, we put men on pedestals as well. So we matched on Bumble, a dating site, and I remember finding his Instagram and going through it and being like, no, there's no way this is the same guy. Like, this has to be a fake, a phony, a something. So once I got kind of deeper, 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 deeper into his Instagram, I noticed his ex-girlfriend looked like me. And so I thought, oh, he must kind of have a type. So anyway, we would have some conversations about it, but he basically was like, I do not like female models whatsoever. I like real chicks. I like a sense of humor. And he wasn't trying to put himself on a pedestal being like, no, you know, I'm great. And I just choose to date below me. But it was the same thing that men go through where I just couldn't believe it. And so I tripped myself up because I just didn't trust the fact that he liked me. 
I was like, there's no way this guy likes me. He's with models all the time. Did you get the kind of attention from women that other men would assume you would get? Like, did being a male model make it easier for you or challenging? So on my YouTube channel, many of the comments after things that I say are like, yeah, right, not unless you have this, 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 and you're a male model, six-pack abs. Did you find that to be true, that it was easier? So, so interestingly enough, actually, again, maybe it was just me getting in my own way, but I was quite humiliated to be a, a male model. Really? So was he. Yeah, I, I think a lot of guys see themselves as, it's like a, not a real job for a guy. It seems, which sounds ridiculous, antiquated and what have you, but it's, and I don't feel that way now in the same way. But as a kid, that's how I felt. Again, the industry was very different back then, especially when I was modeling. But I, I do feel like for me, and I know for a lot of people, I wanted more control over my own life. I wanted to be the one creating, not necessarily the one just in the picture, but one helping to create the picture. And at that point in my career, I didn't have that access. Obviously, when you become a very successful supermodel, you become more of a the collaborative force of creating these images. But back then, I didn't have it. You know, I used to pretend to be some other things. In fact, me and two of my other male model friends, when we would go out clubbing and what have you in Milan and what have you, we would actually make up a story about what, who we were, what we were. And it was never a male model. It was, we had completely other jobs. And it was, we're tonight, all three of us are going to be like biophysicists or yeah, whatever it might be. And we would come up with a plan and we would go out and that would be what it would be so that we didn't have to tell anyone that we were male models because it felt like Zoolander. I felt like I was like, literally a character of Zoolander. And it was like, people were going to laugh at me if I said I was a male model, actually. But that being said, it's like, I do think that women, and in my experience, they're after confidence. So if you're not confident in what you do, you're not going to succeed in many ways, whether it's dating them or just beginning to know, becoming successful. It's almost everything in life. So the fact you're not confident in being a model, and there were people I met who were very confident in being a male model. They loved it. And they were that sort of more Zoolander type characters. They're like, I'm a male model, and boom. And yes, it kind of worked for them in their way. I, on the other hand, kind of found that confidence when I became a photographer, when I was creating and I was booking models. And that was more for me a position of like my own personal power because I could be creative and I could be in control of what I was doing. And at that point, I felt very a much stronger position. Yeah, I feel that in the world, you know, of modeling, it's certainly having perhaps you know, what it takes to be a model was helpful, but actually being one wasn't. Yeah, which makes complete sense. Plus, you're stepping into more of a passion for yourself. So it may not even just be being a male model that was sort of against you. It was being that in, in that position of the side piece of the like what you labeled yourself as before, where you were the accessory to the female models. Once you got into more of a place where you were driven, where you were feeling more like, needed and that your brain was being used. Well, so let me ask you a question about photography. I want to steer off of the modeling for a bit. So as a photographer, this is just my impression of being a photographer. I feel like as a photographer, photographers have deeper eyes than other people. They can just see more than other people see. So my husband, he's not a photographer, but he's definitely got like a, a much more skilled eye than me. And I can hold my phone up to take a picture and he'll come and tweak something that I'm doing and it'll just make the picture 10 times better. And so I wanted to know for you, do you feel like you can see people a little bit differently? Like because you are a photographer, can you read people in a different way? And if so, 
Are there tips that you can give to the guys that are listening about how to kind of see past the exterior to look for the more that's available to them? I never think about myself as being one thing or another. I don't think of myself as being a photographer or doing anything else. I really just always think of myself as just being a creator and being creative. And I'm only successful at that if I'm interested in what's happening around me, if I'm curious. And being fascinated, being passionate, being curious, those are things that are exciting and there are things that make you want to learn more and you're on a constant quest for knowledge and what have you. And as a result of that, when you meet someone, whoever they're going to be, if they're going to be your subject, at any point, it's, you know, I have the luxury of being fascinated in my subject for that time. And that is powerful because one, you are, I'm getting all that information and I'm learning about every detail about this person, what music they like, how they touch their hair, how they smile, what part of their mouth moves up when they do to the base of their neck, where the wrinkles lie on their face, you know, every aspect of their, what do their ears slightly move and what does their skin look like? And you'll become fascinated in all things, all parts. And as you focus your lens and your camera, you see how they move, you see how their pupils dilate, you learn a lot very fast. And, and not to mention what they like to talk about, what they've done in their career. So in a way, it's like speed dating because you have to really get to know someone and you in really to be successful in the photograph, you have to sort of fall in love with them in some respect no matter who it is, what it is. So even if I'm photographing a man, I have to, I, at that point, I'm fascinated with who he is and what he's all about and what drives him and what, what he's about. If I'm photographing an animal, I'm like, this animal right now, what makes it unique? What makes it special? What's its personality? What's its character? You know, and I think that that fascination with your subject puts them on a pedestal and makes them feel very good. And as a result of them feeling good, they open up to you even more right? And they offer you more of themselves. And so therefore you, it is this sort of, people often at the end of a shoot with me will say like, wow, that was, that was quite an experience. You know, and I'm sort of thinking, well, what happened? It was just a photo shoot. And I realized <laughs> right. for them, it was very intimate and intense because you are up in, right up in, in someone's business. And in, in order to get a great picture, people have to reveal that themselves. They have to let down their guard in order to really for you to capture something that's in their eyes that tells a story. And it's that narrative that is, is what makes people charismatic. And so by breaking that down, anyone can be pretty. Anyone, you can be pretty people everywhere, a dime a dozen. But what makes a, a supermodel or what makes someone successful is their ability to become a muse. And to be a muse is to inspire people, make them become creative. And so a successful model, a successful subject, actress, actor in front of a camera has the ability to make you want to create, make you want to direct, make you want to go further, make you push the envelope, do all those things so that you know, you're designing a collection around them. You are shooting because of them. You're thinking of ideas because of them, you know, because of who they are, what they are. And that is a unique thing that it, you get both of those come together and it, that's where you get sort of like the love effect, if you like. And you see it in history of supermodels and designers and editors and photographers and, and, and who work together and, and what have you. And it was kind of like that when I met my wife. Oh, tell me about that. I want to hear about you. Mean, I, I love everything that you just said. The only thing that I'm having difficulty with is like how to connect this to the guys that are listening. Because I, I love what you said. And I think it's so important to be curious and definitely passionate about what you do. And I know that the guys who are listening are like, yes, I've done this with women. I've put them on a pedestal. I've been curious, but then it ultimately lands me in the friend zone with them, the asexual zone. 
And so typically the advice that I would give is that there is a, a fine balance, which leads me into you meeting your wife. Where is like that fine balance? I don't know if you were shooting her and meeting her that way, but... Yeah, no, I mean, there's, a fine, there's definitely a fine balance. I mean, obviously when I'm photographing people, you don't cross a certain line, but that also is that aspect of flirtation, right? So there is a thing where if you try and jump too soon, then people get turned off anyway, you know, because it can be like, oh, too much too quickly. Like, oh, what, you know, this person's desperate or this person, you know, it's like, let me get to know you a little bit, you know, and it's, yeah, you don't want to jump in necessarily to the friend zone, but with a photo shoot kind of scenario, you know, you've got a day or, you know, you have an hour or, you know, you have a few hours or maybe it's a longer trip. And so you kind of figure out what that, all of that's going to be about. And the moment you overstep and that person's uncomfortable at all, the curtain comes down and I don't get what I need. Right. Do you mind actually going into like a little bit more detail about that? Like maybe even walk me through a scenario because everything that you're saying is everything that I want the guys to experience with women. Because sometimes you only have five minutes. Sometimes you only have an hour. So, well, I mean, so, you know, obviously the difference there is, is that I'm not meeting someone normally that's blind, right? So I'm meeting someone who I can do research on. I've cast them, for example, for a job or they've been cast and I, so you get a cheat sheet, you know, but it's a bit like dating app. You get to see a picture of them. You get to know, you know, you've, especially if I'm shooting a celebrity or someone, you know, I do my research and, and I always ask what they like to listen to, what music they like to listen to. I often start there. And, you know, and I, I won't necessarily be me. I may send someone, one of my, someone who works for me or the hair and the makeup artist to find out what they want to listen to. And you set the tone of the room by certain music and with certain playlists. And if someone is younger, I can, I've got all sort of, you know, what's happening in the hits one and, you know, the, the cool stuff. And then I've got my generation and I'm 50, right? So I got stuff where, you know, I could put on the classic rock or I could, whatever it is that gets someone to be comfortable in their moment, in their zone, right? So that helps set the stage. You know, it's, Everything from, I find out what people want to eat. So if that person is sushi, if that person's a vegan, if that person, then I go that way. And that's what we serve. And that's, and so you've got, you're setting the stage for food. You're setting the stage for music. You know, you create a comfortable environment. You want it to be the right temperature. You want it to be, it depends what you're shooting, right? No one wants to sort of be modeling a swimsuit or something or lingerie if it's freezing cold. So setting it right, making it comfortable, making sure everyone has what they need making sure people talk in nice tones, are comfortable. And it's, it's about just making someone be at ease with themselves. And then I often too will Google that person. And of course, you can do that these days easily and find out all kinds of stuff about someone. And so you know what they do already. You know what they've done, previous campaigns, previous work that they might've done. So you can talk to them about it. And it's quite complimentary when someone you meet someone and they've already done their little bit of research. It, it can sound stalkerish, but it's not stalkerish. If you go to have an interview and the interviewer doesn't know anything about you, doesn't know your past, and they're asking you absurd questions, it's sort of like annoying. But if they know what you are, who you are, what you've done, what you've seen, it's like, okay, you know, they've done their research, they've done their work. This is going to go well because I, I know how I can react here. And it's the same thing. It's sort of knowledge is power. And people feel confident and then they sort of, and they can respect you at what you do. So I guess from a takeaway standpoint, guys, it's sort of, you know, do your research, create a comfortable environment, you know, do what you can to, to make that person feel great and all the rest of it. It's not a guarantee. You know, you can sometimes lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. So it's not always going to happen. But the chances are, if you are going to be charming, if you are going to be modest as a person, if you're going to be humble, but you're also going to be good at what you do. And you know that you're good at what you do. And by the way, this isn't, this is subjective. So just because one person likes what I do, doesn't mean another person will. That's fine. 
you know, being polarizing in photography is often the best position you could be in because it's about having a point of view and a signature style and what you're about. And that isn't for everybody, right? But because you're not for everybody, then it means you are for some. So therefore, it's right. But the problem is if you try to be nice to everybody or right for everybody or correct for everybody, then you're probably right for no one because it's sort of like blah, right? So it's sort of eh, turn, page turner. You know, you've got to somehow have a moment where there's a decision moment of like, oh, yeah, I love this. And I love this point of view. And I love what this person's about. I love what this person's saying. Or I don't. And then it's move on. Because otherwise, too, you'll waste time with someone which is sort of both average and it's you're not really kind of making it work. So that's the sort of the takeaway there. It's a huge takeaway. I think that that's fantastic. I want to take a quick break and then I want to come back with Nigel Barker and talk about his own love life and how he met his wife. So we'll be back in a minute. So football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. If you listen to the Ask Women podcast, then you are already miles and miles and miles ahead of other men when it comes to attracting and getting the girls you want. But I must confess, there's one missing piece in the puzzle, and that's flirting or the ability to ignite sexual chemistry with any girl you meet in a matter of minutes. Most guys suck at flirting. They can't flirt their way out of a paper bag. But as your personal wing girl, I can't let you be one of those guys. That's why I want to show you the most effective step-by-step formulaic approach to flirting with any girl you like. This formulaic approach has been tested on thousands of girls and has been proven to work like magic. Yes, magic. You just apply the formula and see results instantly, and it's that powerful. To find out everything about this flirting formula, all you have to do is go to winggirlmethod.com slash flirty. I've made a special video for you where I reveal what this formula is all about. Go to winggirlmethod slash flirty and you'll find out all about it. All right. We are back with Nigel Barker. And actually, and, and, oh, sorry. Before we get into this very fascinating topic about how Nigel met his wife, I am so humiliated because the picture I just showed you was the guy that died and not the guy that I dated. Oh. They just look identical. And so anyway, I just had to admit that. If someone was listening to this podcast and then looked him up and then they were like, Kristen, you were not dating the guy who just passed away. Anyway, for the record, they look very similar. So we'll just leave it at that. I did date someone who looked like the Chanel guy. So the end. Anyway, Nigel, back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So before we dive into that, I do want to know, what are you working on right now? Who are you and what are you doing right now? 
Uh, we have all kinds of projects going on all the time. So we shoot you know, everything from campaigns to uh, in the fashion space to advertising work for hospitality companies, hotels, all the way across. So, you know, and to portraits, corporate portraits, to personal portraits, working with, with various different magazines, shooting fashion editorials, as well as, you know, I run a creative agency, which is a lot of fun creating campaigns for people and the actual idea behind the photo shoot. And I, I also have a, um, a fitness platform called Vive, which is uh, oh, very cool. a digital streaming platform, which is about bringing health and wellness and fitness content to people, and which has been you know, obviously in high demand during the pandemic and what have you. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Wonderful. You have a lot of things going on right now. So let's go to the wife. How did you meet the wife? And you're a busy guy. How does she deal with you being such a busy guy? But we'll talk about that after. But how did you meet her? Because you said she's a model. Tell me the story. She was a model. So she was, and still actually, to be honest, is a model again now, once again. It's amazing what can happen in this world of social media and what have you. And she modeled with her twin sister. So my wife is an identical twin. The Instagram handle at Chin Twins. They're actually about to launch their own show on the Design Network. So that's, this is why I say that it's sort of all happening again for them because they basically modeled for 15 years, stopped. We had children and babies and all the rest of it. And now they're back at it again, sort of in their mid to late 40s and, and all of a sudden got a TV show of their own. So it's all rather exciting how things can come full circle. But, you know, my wife, when I met her, I was just about becoming a photographer. I was, as in I was starting to take pictures and hadn't really, I was still modeling full time. And my agent, and was, I happened to be her agent in Milan, and he called me and he said, Nigel, I've met these twins. They're gorgeous. You're going to love them. You've got to meet them. I know that they're perfect for you. And so when they come to Milan, I will call you and let you know, and we'll try and get you a job over here so that you can come out and then you'll meet them. Literally, he was literally acting like that, like a matchmaker himself. And I was like, okay, that sounds amazing. And he showed me some pictures. He sent me some pictures. And I was like, wow, yeah, they are beautiful. Sure. And then a few weeks later, a call came in. They're here. I've got a job for you. Why don't you come and stay for a week or so after the job and you can make, meet them and what have you. And I remember literally walking into the agency and I think he had pretty much talked me up, hyped me up to them as well. And I walked in and I met them. And it was funny. I immediately went towards one of them, Kristen, who's my wife. I mean, it turned out that Kimmy actually was dating somebody else as it happened back home. Uh, maybe so that may, might have been the five straight away. But I remember I literally had the worst pickup line of all time. Like bar none, probably the worst, which ends up being probably not so bad. So guys, this is an interesting thing here. And I'm sure Marnie's probably talked to you all about it in the past, but a line doesn't have to be a line. It just has to be honest and it has to be coming from the heart and it has to be conversational. And I basically walked straight up to her and was like, I didn't even think about what I had to say. And as soon as I saw her, I'm like, I was like, oh shit, what do I say? And I had literally the night before, as I arrived in Milan, I'd been bitten by a mosquito on my arm. And I am allergic to mosquitoes. And I had these huge, ugly, red, and sort of almost like watering, like horrible mosquito bumps on my arm that I had been itching. And I said to Chrissy, I'm like, oh, hi, you're new, you just arrived. I'm like, you've got to be really careful of the mosquitoes around here. They're really vicious. Look at my arm. <laughs> Show them my horrible, gnarled arm. And my wife was like, she's from Alabama. And she was like, oh, honey, that's nothing. I'm from Alabama. In Alabama, the mosquitoes got worse bite than the alligators. And it was this crazy comment that she made. And I laughed. She laughed. You know. And then she's like, let me have a look at that. And she was like, I think I might have something for that. And it was 
this sort of odd moment where she was now having just met this girl who I thought was gorgeous and I had the worst bit. And I was like, what the hell was you saying? What did you just say that for? Like, that was- but you did exactly what you said you do in your own photography. And if you shared this with me on your podcast as well, and I was like, you did exactly what I tell guys to do. You helped her drop her guard by talking to her as if you already knew her. And that's exactly what you said you did with photography. You researched them before, you knew who they were. And then you, when you saw them for the first time, it wasn't like you were meeting them for the first time. So you had this barrier to entry. It's like you could just jump over that part and start the conversation. And that's exactly what you did. You cut out the first 25 minutes of boring chit chat that everybody hates, which allowed her to do the same with you and just react to you as a man and the comment that was being said rather than, okay, who's this guy? Do I have to look a certain way? Do I have to respond a certain way? Yeah. It was like non-flirtatious flirtation. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. Also, what's important there was that you didn't frame yourself as having to be perfect. A lot of guys think, oh, I have to show this perfect robotic side of me. Like, I'm great at this. I have no mosquito bites on my arms. I'm in perfect shape. But when you point out a flaw, it humanizes you and immediately makes you more endearing to a woman. So it's a realness. I love it. So did you just start a dating immediately after that interaction? No, no, far from it. I actually, that particular day, I was like, oh, look, I've been coming to Milan for years. You know, I actually lived here for two years. You're new here. It's your, literally your first day. I think they, were, they arrived the night before. This was their first day in the agency. And I said, you know, we had maps back then. We didn't have phones with directions. You know, so you had a map and you had to unfold it. And I'm like, let me take you today on your castings and I can guide you around Milan so you can find your way around. And and they were like, oh, wow, really? And I was like, sure. And I'm like, why don't all your friends, I'll take all of your friends because there's a bunch of you. And I'm like, I'll take all of you. So it's not like me and you. It's like me and like four people. And I'll just be on guard if you like, and we'll have fun. And I'll show you the town. And they sort of fell for that. And I, off we went. And I was like looking at my friend, my agent, Alan. I looked at him and winked and was like, yes, this looks like it's going well. And, you know, obviously, word got back to it. I was a bit of a kind of a, to use of a better word, my nickname back then was Casanova. So, mm. and so my wife was like, she had done her research and was right. like, I heard about you and I know that you have a lot of girlfriends and I know what have you. And I think we need to get to know one another and blah, blah, blah. And it actually took me about three months. And there are actually photographs where my wife's sister, Kimmy, is actually sitting on my lap and her sister, who I was, was off to the side. And it was only because she was really blocking me. It was, she was like, I'm going to sit, so you can't get close to my sister. Yeah, she played it well. Oh, she played it very well. But at the same time, the great part of it was is that we got to know each other. We had so much fun. It was about laughing. It was about giggling. I mean, we had some of the most craziest dates in the world. And and again, another story, which I, I think I can't remember if I shared with you or not the first time we chatted. But you know, I remember going with my, my wife, her sister, and four of their friends, all models, just me. We went to a park in Milan. And I'm sitting there and I felt like I was holding court. We're all hanging out on this rug in the park and there's a fountain and it's beautiful. And with five, six models and we're all chatting. We've got a bottle of wine and we've got cheese and the baguettes. And we're, you know, just chatting and laughing and giggling, telling silly stories and boasting and all that kind of stuff, right? And I literally put my hand back and I put my hand up. Back then, as I mentioned, I had long flowing locks and I put my hand through my hair. And I just remember looking up and looking at Chrissy's face and her face, her eyes went, bulged out of her head and another girl looked at me and was like oh and i was like what like what as i did that i kind of went like this with my hand and as i did it i smelled something awful and i was like oh my god that's dog shit 
Oh my God, you put your hand in poop. I had to put my hand back <laughs> into an old dog turd and then I <laughs> noticed it, picked it up and then brushed it through my long Fabio hair. <laughs> oh my God. And then my face and I had literally dog turd hanging off my nose, hanging off my eye, in my hair and all these girls. And I'm like, what the hell have you just done? Oh you ruined the best God. moment ever. And then these girls, everyone was laughing. I jumped up. I took my shirt off. I jumped into the fountain that was there, washed See? my hair, washed my face. I got out and I'm like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. And then I remember Chrissy was wearing a chiffon butterfly crop top shirt over her bra or over her bra top or whatever. And she was looking at me. She goes, do you want to wear this? <gasps> and for some odd reason, I said yes. And oh I don't even say, wonder why I just didn't go topless because I could have done. And right. then I sort of like, I was like, sure. Yeah, I, I do. Bring it on. on. This little, tiny little butterfly chiffon crop top. And I just remember walking home with all these girls afterwards, them all laughing at me, thinking I was ridiculous, me feeling humiliated. But after the fact, my wife told me that was one of the moments where she realized that I was always going to have fun and it was gonna, I would be able to laugh at myself. And she knew that that would be something that she said that was a turning point for her, funnily enough. And I never, I always thought it was like a ruining point. I thought, that's it. I just ruined everything. I know, but isn't it so interesting what does it for other people, especially for women? Like that was your humanizing moment for her, I think, where you weren't this player, this Casanova with other right. women. You were literally able to handle having dog shit rubbed all over your face. And then you could jump into a fountain, laugh at it, and still enjoy yourself and let the evening go on, which I think is a huge message for the people who are listening. Like, Exactly what you just said, the fact that she liked that you could laugh at yourself and could laugh your way through life, that is a huge thing for so many women. A man who can put women into that space of enjoying themselves no matter what. And I think that, I mean, you rocked that situation. That was amazing. I, mean, I think guys too out there, it, it, it's both ways, right? So if you're too concerned about being funny, you're not going to be funny. If you're too concerned about pampering to the other side because you want them to feel great all the time, that's also not going to work, right? So, because I don't think I planned any of these things. I did not plan to be cute by saying I had mosquito bites on my arm. I did not plan to, or have any idea I was going to put my hand in a dog turd and put it in my hair. And if I had known, I wouldn't have done it. And then who knows where my life would have led. But, you know, it was, it's funny that ultimately I always do and say what comes naturally to me at that moment. It's not premeditated. It isn't thought out. Where did that come from? Were you always like that as a child or is this a learned behavior? No, I think it, you can learn it with confidence. I don't think you always are born with all the confidence in the world. Some people are more confident than others. I mean, I've got two kids and they have different levels of confidence in different things, right? But there's an element of understanding perhaps what success is and thinking success is money, thinking success is looks, thinking success is strength. Actually, I think are weaknesses if you think of them that way. But actually, happiness, charming, modesty, humility, wit, knowledge, smarts are far more kind of long-term gains that will stick with you through thick and thin, you know, and then it doesn't matter what you have. And I mean, part of that, you know, comes from traveling, comes from meeting people and meeting people who haven't had everything in life yet are still the people you want to hang out, right? So, you know, and I think that sometimes too, like, you know, I met my wife, she was an identical twin, but I was, there was something about her and me that it wasn't like, oh, is it this twin or that twin? It was, it was Chrissy and they are identical still to this day, literally identical. 
the personalities are quite different. In fact, her sister is actually more like me, <laughs> funnily enough. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it makes sense that you would go the other way. Yeah, I think that you know you have to be, at the end of the day, you've got to be authentic to yourself. Because if you're not really happy, if you're playing, then it becomes an act. Then it's, one, it's easy to see it through. But two, you're not going to be able to pull it off on the long run. You know, and so therefore you're, you're leading yourself down the garden path. I completely agree. And that is a perfect place to end our show. Nigel, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and sharing all of these stories. I really appreciate you for being here today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And for everybody who is listening, I mean, Nigel gave you a long list of things to go pay attention to, but Shaken and Stirred podcast, amazing. What was it? Viva or Vivo, you said, or Vive? Vive. Vive. So is it an app or is it a website or is it both? It's both. And you can actually check it out on Instagram at the Vive, at the, and then V1VE. Wonderful. For health, wellness, uh, fitness, I'm assuming as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So many things going on and I'm so excited to see where all of these things go. But yes, we are at the end of our show. And thank you guys so much for listening. We could not do this without you. This is like our sixth year of doing our podcast now, I think. But again, without you, we would not continue doing that. New episodes of the Ask Women podcast come out at 5 p.m. Pacific on Thursday. Please go and subscribe to our show. Don't download individual episodes. That's a waste of time. Time you could be using interacting with amazing women. We will see you guys next week.